Today our guest speaker is Stacy DePluzer. She's assistant to youth director for Illinois conference and she's seen a lot of happy faces today and she, I think she was surprised to see how many people she does know. So reunions, reunions, another reunion today. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our scripture reading today is from Deuteronomy 31, 7 to 8. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. Good morning, Downers Grove. Wow, you know, usually when you get up to speak um, and you ask a question or you say good morning, usually it takes about three or four times before somebody looks up. So it's good to hear that you're awake and alive this morning. It's so good to be with you. I've seen so many faces that I do know, and that's really exciting. I was like, man, I've never been to this church before. I have a lot of friends that I know go to this church, but they're either away at school or they've grown up and they've gone on. But here I am this morning, I walk into the doors and I'm like, I know her, I know him. I don't know you, but I know you now. It's so good to be here. I am beyond grateful for the opportunity to spend this Sabbath morning with you. So thank you for having me. By a show of hands, how many of you would say that you have had a mentor in your life? Right, a couple of us. Um, okay, by another show of hands, how many of you would say that you have been a mentor to someone else? All right, fair enough, fair enough. Well, this morning, I wanna talk to you about this little theme. It looks little, but I promise you, anything that has to do with God is not little, right? We don't serve a small God, we serve a grand and a massive God who can do wonderful things. And as we talk about taking the torch, so many times we, we hear the phrase passing the torch, right? Coming from the perspective of somebody who's been doing something for a very long time, but then it comes to that point in their leadership or their time of which they've been serving, which it's now time to pass the baton to somebody else. It's time to take a step back and let somebody else step into the spotlight. But what happens when you are the person who's supposed to receive that? Right? What happens when you are the person who's supposed to take the baton? When I was in middle school, I used to run track and field, and I loved it, and I was good at it. Right? I used to run this relay called the 4x4 relay, and there are typically four people that run this relay. Right? You've got your lead runner, your two middle runners, and your last and final runner. And typically, the last person in your team of runners is not always the slowest, right? You don't want to save your slowest runner to finish up the race. Well, I was, I was definitely not the last. <laughs> I was not the last person in our, in our team. But I was typically one of the people in the middle because I can stride, right? I can take my time. I know how to pace myself. But I had a friend. She was quick. Her name was Jessica, and this girl was like lightning. Well, my job as the third runner in the, in the, in the 
meet was to pass the baton to her, right? All I had to do was make it around the track and get the baton to her. Simple, right? It's a, it's, it's a one fluid motion, it's just this. You say stick, she reaches her left hand out, with my right hand I pass it to her, she takes it, she wins the race, right? That's what's supposed to happen. Supposed to happen. Well, being that we were eighth graders and as an eighth grader you think you know everything, and then you go to high school and you still think you know everything, and then you go to college and realize you know nothing. But in this moment, we didn't think about practicing before we got to our turn to race. And what we didn't realize is we had been practicing with plastic batons, but they gave us a metal baton. It's a very different feel. If you're a runner, you would know it doesn't feel the same, right? Didn't think anything of it because we're eighth graders. We've been doing this for two years. Come, no problem. So we get around. First runner goes, passes the baton to the second one. Second, bat second runner comes, and I'm ready. I've got my hand out, grab the baton, and I take off. And I'm coming in, coming right up to the 200-meter mark, and I'm yelling, stick, 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 getting ready for her to receive the baton. And I go, I call stick, and I go to pass it. And she stops, and she turns around, and she looks at me. But the problem is I'm running at her, OK? She stopped. I, whoop, there goes my watch. <laughs> She's, she stopped. I'm running towards her. And she has no idea what to do next. Thank you so much. And the two of us end up colliding. So my coach is not concerned of whether or not we're injured, whether or not we're OK. All I can hear is, get up. <laughs> Pick it up, <laughs> keep going. So she ends up taking the baton and she flies around. She's already in last place at this point, but I told you she's quick. And suddenly the girl that was in last place is speeding past all the other girls in our meet and she ends up winning what we thought was winning. What we didn't know is if you drop the baton, you're disqualified. <laughs> So she gets the end and she's like, I did it! I messed up, but I did it! And the ref is like, you did not. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. And at the, end of, at the end of that race, we were talking to our coach and our coach was like, what happened? You were doing so good. What, what happened? And I was like, oh, no, no, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I was running. I yelled, stick. And she turned around. She wasn't supposed to turn around. You're just supposed to reach your hand back. That's all. And we asked her, Jessica, what, what, what happened in the moment? What went through your mind? And she's like, I don't know. I couldn't give you an answer. And she starts to cry. And my coach is like, listen, listen, listen. Don't cry. Because part of being a leader, part of having people depend on you, is not about the mistakes that you make. It's about how you deal with them. It's about what happens when you do take that baton because you didn't stay on the ground, right? You, didn't, you could have sat there, you could have cried, you could have talked and screamed at the cuts on your knees. You could have been absolutely defeated because all these girls are now way ahead of you. No, you got up and you kept going, right? Perseverance, tenacity, the desire to push. So this morning, I wanna to talk to you about five key points to being a leader, right?
five key points to leading God's people. Not just being a leader in your workforce or at school, but about leading God's people, whether it's here on the pulpit, in the ministries that you're involved in, at the car wash, wherever you might be. What does it mean to lead and how do you do that? So the first point I want to talk to you about is about being bold and brave. Everybody say that with me. Bold and brave. Bold and brave. brave. By a show of hands, how many of you know what... Let's rephrase. How many of you would consider yourself bold? Ooh, KK. Hey. (laughs) How many of you would consider yourselves brave? Okay. All right. We got some people who are just going to look at me. Uh, There are a couple people who are like, if I raise my hands, I might be lying. I'm just not going to do that. That's okay. Maybe your answer might change. Let me give you the definition of what it means to be bold and what it means to be brave. Maybe then you'll have a little bit more confidence to say that you are or you are not. To be bold, according to dictionary.com, means that you are able to have an ability to take risks, to be confident and courageous. By that definition, how many of you would say that you are bold? Ah, okay. Suddenly we've got more hands. All right, okay. According to the same website, the definition of brave means that you are ready to face and endure danger or pain. You're able to show courage. By that definition, how many of you would call yourself brave? Ah, now we've added some context to the words. It makes a little bit more sense, right? Okay, all right. Well, I would like to deposit or posit that if you consider yourself a child of God, you are both bold and brave. Why? Well, if we say that God is a bold God and he's brave and we were made in his image, would that not then tell you that you have the capability to be bold and to be brave? Right? problem is we we tend to not unlock those things, right? Because we see that there are people who preach on stages and they're very, very vocal. They're so good at what they do. I can't do that. I, I, I don't have that ability. I don't have that gift. Or maybe they're teachers and they're really good in a classroom and they're amazing with kids. And they're like, I'm not even sure I like kids. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But we we judge our abilities based on what other people are doing, rather than saying, I serve a God who's created me to be like him, so therefore I must be like him. In the Bible, we find, as Pastor Ken's been telling me, he's been talking about Moses a lot recently, right? And so you're pretty familiar with his character, you know who he is. Right, so we're going to talk a little bit about Moses. We're going to spend most of our time talking about Joshua. But in the beginning, I asked you, how many of you have been a mentor, right? Joshua was mentored by Moses, right? They worked very closely together. And in the very early stages of their relationship, Moses sends 12 spies into the Canaan, right? And he simply asks them this, hey, go into Canaan, survey the land. Tell me what's going on in this place so that when we get ready to cross over, we have a idea of what we're getting into, right? So they 
the 12 spies go into Canaan for 40 days, and they come back to report to Moses, right? And what do they tell Moses? They simply say to Moses, you know, the land is flourishing just as they expected it to be. It's exactly the way it was described. It's flourishing. The land is rich and it is good. But the people are large. There are a lot of them. And they have these things called giants. Now, if the spies were anybody around my height, anybody that's taller than me is going to qualify as a giant. <laughs> okay? It's just it's that simple. Right? Alex standing next to me, he's a giant. <laughs> Mr. Merman, you're definitely a giant. Okay? That's how it is. So I can understand them being a little bit intimidated if the people in this land are a little bit bigger than they are. But what is interesting is, and if you want to follow along, I'm in Numbers 13. They come back to Moses and they say, hey, this is what's going on in the land, but there are these people, there's a lot of them, they're very, very large. We cannot inhabit this land. We cannot go there. Ah, but what's the problem with their statement? Uh-huh. We can't do it. You're absolutely right. If I was Moses, I'd be like, you know what? Thank you, Captain Obvious. Because if you haven't learned anything from the last 40 years we've been here, we can't do anything. You've spent all this time in captivity in Egypt, and you couldn't get yourself out. And then God stepped into the picture, right? He did something. Then we got to the Red Sea, and he still couldn't do anything. So he stepped in. And now you're here telling me that there is another obstacle in front of you that you can't deal with, and so it's immovable. Praise God I wasn't Moses, right? But I said, you know, Moses, we, we can't do it. This is impossible. The problem with their statement is that they're talking about themselves. No, they cannot. But the other problem with their statement is that God had already promised that land to them. You're saying that you cannot do something that God has already worked out for you. When God told Moses to send them into the land to figure out what it was like, he wasn't asking them to go and look to see, is the land actually that nice? No. No, of course he knew it was good. He wasn't doing it for his benefit. What he was doing was setting them up to show them the miracle that he could work, right? And oftentimes God will do that. He will put you situation and ask you questions that seemingly don't make any sense because of course God the land looks good but hey now there are these people ah but did you forget what I said as the Bible said God's word never leaves his mouth void right when he speaks something it's final well as that story goes on they tell and they report back to Moses and to the people, you know, the, the land is just, it's, it's great, but the people are the problem. And of course, because the Israelites are the Israelites and they have a problem with this, they have a problem with just seeing what's in front of them rather than seeing past them and looking at the God behind it, the people start to say, you know, why did you take us out of Egypt? Why, why are we here again? Why, why, is this, why is this a thing? We should have just left us in Egypt. We would have been comfortable. We would have been fine. But here we are, again, finding ourselves confronting something that is immovable. This does not make any sense. And in number 14, Caleb 
If you're familiar with the character of Caleb, one of the spies, he says to them, hey, look, we can do this. Of course we can, because it's not us who's going to do it. God's going to do it. But that wasn't enough for the Israelites, of course, as their track record would show you, right? And even Moses and Aaron at this point get discouraged because they're tired of hearing the Israelites complain and get discouraged because of the things that they're seeing. And Caleb and Joshua can't take it, cannot take it anymore. And they decide to be bold and brave and address the Israelites, right? They simply say to the Israelites, how can you not have faith in the God who has done so much for you before? How is this possible? You need to learn to trust him. We are going to go into this land. We are going to conquer it. And we will inherit the blessing that the Lord has placed on our lives. That's what we're going to do. How many of you would be bold enough to stand before your church, your church family after you know, Pastor Rufo says, we're not going to meet in this building anymore. We're going to move. We're going to move to downtown Chicago. How many of you would be willing to say, if the Lord says it, let it be so? Right? Or how many of you would be like our friend here in the children's story and say, I don't know. I'm not sure. In moments of crisis, in moments of uncertainty, a leader is bold enough to stand up and speak out when need be. A leader is brave enough to know that the things that they're going to say may not be well received, but if it is something that is going to help them carry out the calling that God has placed over them, then let it be. We find, we find Esther in the Bible who did the very same thing. There's a law that says if you approach the king without being summoned, What's the penalty? Death. Ah, but what they didn't realize was that there's a king who's greater than the king in front of them who instructed Esther to do something. And because of her faith and the stock she puts in the word of God, she's able to go before the king and all of the people in that throne room and plead for her people, whereby freeing them from the sentence that was placed on them. To be a leader, you need to be bold and you need to be brave. Point number two. This one in our modern society is not one that is received well most of the time, especially by women. To be a leader, you have to learn to be submissive. Mm. Quiet. <laughs> yes. See, the first time I came across this, I was like, I don't like that word. <laughs> I don't like that word. Why would I want to be submissive to anybody except for God? No, not going to do that. But when you look at what it means to be submissive from a biblical perspective, you understand that there's actually a lot of beauty in being submissive. See, being submissive is not about giving up your identity. It's not about giving up who you are as a person. Rather, being submissive in a biblical manner is about respecting someone else's authority, right? 
and understanding that the authority that that person has is rooted in God. It's been given by God. That's why you respect it, right? To be submissive in a biblical manner simply is shown this way. Moses was submissive to the authority of God. When God spoke, Moses did. Not because everything that God told Moses to do made sense, because if we want to be honest, let's talk about frogs coming out of the sky. Let's talk about water turning into blood, right? Random things that if you were to tell me were going to happen, I'd probably look at you and I would ask Google or maybe Alexa, Alexa, where is the nearest psychologist? Right? They don't always make much sense. But Moses wasn't concerned with the task that was being presented. He was more concerned with the person asking. Right? And that's a lesson that Joshua learned from Moses. Moses was submissive to God's authority, therefore being submissive to God. Joshua followed suit. Joshua was then submissive to Moses and the authority given to Moses by God. Right? Not rooted in the person, but rooted in the stock of the person who gives that authority. If you want to turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, we'll talk a little bit about Joshua here. Joshua in um, Joshua chapter 1 has just been instated as the next leader of the Israelites, right? Moses has died. Here comes Joshua. And in Joshua 1.7, God says this. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. See, when you're submitting to a person such as God, what you're submitting to is somebody who cares so deeply about you that he'll never, ever steer you off the right track. He will always keep you in the place that you need to be. He will always take you down a road that's going to set you up to win because he's already promised that in your life, right? Joshua could submit to the authority of God because he had seen God move in his life. He left Egypt, saw the crossing of the Red Sea, saw how God manifested himself in the daytime, in the nighttime. So he was able to say, you know what? I think there's something to this. And I am willing to put my faith in him, I'm willing to submit my will to his because I know, based on his track record, that he's here to make sure that everything that I have in my life is for my good and for the people around me, right? Point number one, a leader needs to be what? Bold and brave. Point number two, a leader needs to learn to what? Be submissive, learn to submit, but submit to who? God, not people to God, always. Now, of course, when you talk about submission, you, you find people who will say, well, doesn't, if I'm, if I'm submissive to a person, doesn't that mean I have to do like everything they say and don't I have to be just very passive? Absolutely not. How many times did Moses go toe-to-toe with God? 
How many times? So many times. Lord, please, I know you're mad. I know you're mad. But don't kill him just yet. Just let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about this, right? Who else was submissive to God in the Bible? If I don't know a better example of this, tell me. Jesus. Jesus was absolutely submissive to the authority of his father, always. We find Jesus in the synagogue teaching, right? He's 12 years old. He's not where he's supposed to be in terms of his earthly place, but he's exactly where he should be in terms of his father's business. And we find Mary, she's panicked. Where is my child? How many times has my mother uttered those words? (laughs) Where is my child? Probably off reading a book somewhere. Sorry. My bad. Love you, Mom. But Mary comes in, and if it was modern day Mary, boy, what are you doing? Get over here. Get, if it's my mom, come here. Just come. How you doing? Come here. Okay? Comes over. What are you doing? Where are you supposed to be? And he's like, Mom, I'm, how can, I'm about my father's business in the temple. Like, come, what are you doing? Of course, he's a preteen, so he's got a little bit of an attitude, right? I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Mary's like, go home. <laughs> go, go home, all right? It's actually funny because you don't hear from Jesus for the next 18 years after that. Okay? <laughs> Grounded for 18 years, go home. <laughs> I don't want to see you till you're 30, okay? But even Jesus was submissive to the authority over him. His mom... Go home. You're not where you're supposed to be. Yes, ma'am. I'll see you guys in 18 years, right? But even past that, Jesus was submissive to his father. We see Jesus again at the wedding at Cana, right? And here's his mom again. Mary is real good at telling Jesus what to do, okay? She says, Jesus, hey, um, we've, run out, we've run out of wine. I'm going to need you to utilize you know, your Jesus ship and fix this problem, okay? Turn this water into wine now. Jesus is like, my time has not come, okay? It has not come yet. And Mary's like, if it was my mom, (laughs) my mom would look at me and say, I didn't ask you what time it was. (laughs) I said, turn the water into wine, okay? And Jesus does so. But why does Jesus turn that water into wine? Because he's submissive. And he understood the authority that was being presented in this moment. It wasn't Mary's authority. It was the authority from God given to Mary to tell Jesus now is the time to start your miracles. This is where you begin. Right? Jesus understood what it meant to be submissive. And if Jesus can do it, then we definitely can do it. It's not always easy, but it's possible. Point number one, be brave. Point number two, be submissive. Our third point of being a biblical leader is simply, it's very, very simple, I promise you this. You have to be willing to learn. I don't care how young you are, how old you are, how many years you've been doing what you've been doing, how many years you haven't been doing what you're doing, but if you are not willing to learn, you will never be able to lead, right? In the same passage here in Joshua 1, we find Moses has 
past, Joshua has come in, but how is it that Joshua is able to lead a group of people as massive as Israelites? Because he spent time watching Moses. He's been by his side for years, looking at what he does, watching how he interacts with people, seeing what he says in moments of crisis, what he does when there's a problem, right? And so, because he spent all this time gleaning and gaining information of how do I take on this job? How do you do this? When it's time for him to step up, he has something to go off of. When I started working for the youth department a year ago with Pastor Michael, one of the very first things I asked, and I ask a lot of questions, okay? If you, if you were around me in the office, you know, I just ask questions all the time. But I asked Pastor Michael, Pastor Michael, what's one piece of advice that you would give me as a new employee here? The one thing he told me was be willing to learn. I was like, that is not the type of advice that I was looking for. Okay, I want to know how do I, you know, make charts for this and how do I order things for that. No, that's not what Pastor Mike had to share with me. Pastor Mike said, you have to be willing to learn. I said, what does that mean? He says, the moment that you stop learning is the moment that you become irrelevant to the people that you're leading. Because you're no longer interested in them. And leadership is all about other people. That's all it is, right? You have to be willing willing to learn. And so that's what Joshua did. Joshua took time to follow suit of his mentor and really lean into the mentorship and gain as much knowledge from Moses as he possibly could. All he did was pay attention. He watched as Moses led the people out of Egypt, right? He watched Moses be bold and brave as he spoke to Pharaoh and took the people out of this land, right? He learned and watched as Moses was submissive to God at the Red Sea when there was no possible way for them to go anywhere else. And Moses said, all right, God, here you go. What do I do? They crossed an impossible, impossible body of water simply by the word of God, right? But he also learned from Moses' mistakes. He saw when Moses hit the rock when he wasn't supposed to. God said, hit the rock? No, he said, speak to the rock. Moses said, awesome, boom, hits the rock, right? Joshua took the good and the bad and used that to mold what his leadership style would be. Wasn't going to mimic what Moses did. You're not trying to copy those who come before you. You take what those before you have left for you and use it to propel you and better it so that the people who come after you can do the same, right? Someone also told me this when I was in high school. Stacey, I know that you're very good at what you do. And high school is very good at playing the flute, right? Loved it. But it would get to my head sometimes, right? A little cocky sometimes. And my band director said to me one day, Stacey, you are good at what you do. But always remember, there will always be somebody who is better than you, right? It's funny because the Bible echoes the same thing. In Deuteronomy 34, 9 to 11, this is the end of Moses' story. Um, He's died, 
but the Bible says that there was no greater leader than Moses. How would you want to, would you want to be Joshua after hearing something like that? <laughs> like, Joshua, you've been, you've been instated as the new leader of, of Israel. We're so happy that you're here. You're not as good as Moses, but we'll take you. We'll take you, man. Uh, you're like, you're second. You, you were second in command. You're, you're still kind of there. That's okay. Why? Because there's always going to be somebody greater. And even in Moses' case, yes, he's recognized as the greatest leader of Israel, but there's somebody greater than him, and his name is Jesus. They call him the second Moses, but the second Moses was greater than the first. To be a leader, you have to be brave, you have to be submissive, and you have to be willing to learn. This next point, the last two points here. Point number four is that you have to be willing to follow, friends. You cannot lead if you can't follow. Why? Why, Stacey? Of course I can lead. If you give me a manual, just read the manual. And I do what the manual says. Sure, you might do what the manual says, but does the manual tell you how to get the people to follow you? No. Most often, and more often than not, it does not. It tells you how to put a business plan together, how to run a board meeting, how to choose songs for praise and worship tells you nothing about how to talk to the person in the fifth pew that is going through a divorce. Tells you nothing about how to relate to the mom who's just lost a child, right? But when you learn to follow, you'll realize that in that time that you're following, you're spending time with people as people, right? You are just like everybody else in that time that you were following. So you want to be looking at your neighbors and say, hey, how are you doing? What are you, what are you feeling in this moment? What are you thinking about? As, as people in Egypt or in, in Israel would see what was happening, Joshua's in the midst of them. They call him a warrior. He's a soldier. He's talking to his fellow soldiers. Hey, how did you feel about after we came back from Canaan? What did that feel like for you? Tell me, tell me about your thoughts. Why? So that when he steps into the role of a leader, he can understand what this person is going through. It makes his empathy go up. It allows his discernment to go up because he understands where they're coming from. It's a relational dynamic, right? But if you're not willing to get down and dirty, if you're not willing to understand where your people are coming from, you'll never be able to lead because they're not going to follow so you'll be by yourself. How do you lead yourself? Well, Joshua, in our scripture reading from today, in Deuteronomy 31, learns this from Moses. Right? Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8 says, Then Moses called Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all of Israel. Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. We're going to back up a little bit and read this again. Be strong and of good courage. Be bold and brave, my friends. For you must go with this people. Right? The key word here is with. 
You're not going by yourself. They're not going by themselves. You're going together in tandem. And if you're not paying attention through this process that I'm here while you still have me, if you're not paying attention of what it looks like to relate to your people, you're going to find it very hard to lead. Very hard. You have to be learning. Have to be willing to follow. And lastly, friends, this one is probably the most simple yet the most complex of all. You have to be willing to lead. When somebody passes that torch to you, you have to be willing to take it. Right? In the case of my friend and our track meet, I thought she was willing to take it. But then she turned around and she just looked at me. And then the baton was on the ground. And we ended up losing a race because she wasn't willing to take that baton. Right? Same thing happens in leadership. If you have been spending all this time in a mentorship with somebody and learning from somebody, and finally they get to the point where they say, hey, safety, it is time for you to take over. And I look at you and I'm like, um, Sister Rosetta, you, you want to do this? You could do this. What was the point of all this time that you have spent learning, following, being submissive, being bold and brave? What was the point? What are you going to do with it, right? I remember a couple weeks ago, we were at Camp Akita for Adventure Family Camp. And there was a club that was supposed to come and do special music, and they ended up not showing up. So like, oh man, we don't have anybody to do special music. This one little boy raises his hand, and he's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Thank you. So he comes on the stage, we hand him the microphone, and he gets there, and he's like, nope. <laughs> Puts the mic down and exits. Like, okay. <laughs> well, we're going to skip to the message now. Uh, okay, no problem. That evening, we were going to go into our award ceremony and give out trophies. And it's just how the clubs do it, you know, you announce Downers Grove and they send one of the kids to come and get the trophy, right, rather than the director. Well, the same little boy for this club is like, I'm going to go and get it. And so I was like, oh, we're back here, my friend, we meet again. And so he comes up to the stage and he takes the trophy and he's standing there and we're like, you can go now. <laughs> get off the stage, little kid. And he's like, I don't know what to do with this. So he turns to me, he hands it back, and he walks off the stage. I was like, now you're supposed to take it with you. All right, take, take the trophy, little guy. So he comes back, and he takes it, and he runs back to his club, and they're very excited about the trophy that they've been giving. Right? How often do we do that when someone passes us a torch? We take it. We're not really sure what to do with it. And so instead of running with it, we hand it back. Like, oh, not quite ready for this. God calls you to do something, and you're like, hello, mom? <laughs> so, sorry, God, my mom, so you told me to be submissive. That's my mom, all right? We don't want to take on the torch. Why? Because with the torch, with receiving it, with taking it, comes a great responsibility. What if Joshua had said no? 
What if Joshua had spent all this time as a warrior, all this time learning from Moses, all this time relating to the people around him, and finally it comes to the day when he's supposed to take over for Moses, and he's like, you know what? This is not it. I can't, can't do this. It's too much. It's too big. Sorry, God. What if that was the case? We would have found Israel in a place where they would have missed so much under Joshua's leadership. They would have missed the sun standing still. How crazy is that? Can you imagine that? The, the, the closest thing we have to that is like a solar eclipse. The sun stands still because of somebody who was willing to take the torch after somebody who had led for a very long time as a phenomenal leader, not a perfect leader, but a phenomenal leader, steps into his shoes, into his shadow, but leads being bold and brave, being submissive to the authority of God, willing and wanting to learn about his people, about the job, willing to follow Moses' example and whatever God was telling him to do, taking up the torch and being willing to lead. Verse 8 in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, as I close, simply says this. And the Lord... He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. When you're taking the torch, friends, you have to run with it. Why? Because leadership is about influence and example. And just as Moses was an example and an influence for Joshua, Joshua did the same for the people once he took the role of the leader. He watched Moses be brave and bold. He watched him be submissive to the authority of God. He watched him learn how to learn as God showed him that. He watched him learn how to follow in the desert. But more than that, he watched Moses be willing to take the torch that was handed to him and lead the Israelites into the place to the promised land that was set before them, before they even got there. I challenge you, learn to be a leader. Many of you did not raise your hands at the beginning when I asked if you thought that you were bold or you were brave. But I want to ask you this question as I sit down. How many of you are willing to go through the process of learning what it means to be bold and brave, what it means to be submissive, to learn, to follow, and most importantly, how to lead. Can we submit to doing that today? Thanks, friends.